Hey there, what's up, man? What you rapping? Thanks for 345k. Even if it's just um, law enforcement who have been surveilling me without a warrant for several years now and suppressing my every communication, so please do share my stuff if you want to help uh, piss off the censors. So this is called Thoth, Jesus, and the Ancient Mag Magicians. Billy Carson. Whoa. I noticed you guys enjoy my enjoy uh, Billy Carson as much as I do. Or almost as much. Feels like a dream, feels like magic. Alright, family, alright. We are now live. Oh, it's gonna be a good night. It's gonna be a good show. Hope y'all ready. Y'all know this brother right here next to me. Bring him on. Before I do, um, hit the like button. Uh, make sure you tell your friends and family uh, what's what's going on tonight. It's gonna be historical. You know what I'm saying? But let's get to a commercial real quick. Know what I mean? Know what I mean? Commercial. I want to run by y'all real quick, and then we're going to get right into the show, fam. Hey, man, why you got to do it like that, man? Hey, you oh, know, listen, man. man. We only move up. We never move sideways. Oh, man, that's fire. That's very, very inspiring, yeah. brother. Oh, man, keep doing it big, man. Keep doing it big. That was dope. Thank that you. was dope. <laughs> what's, the, um, what, what's the website again? 4BK.TV. 4BK.TV. Or just go to your app store, Apple TV, Roku, iOS, Google Play. Amazon Fire TV, Samsung TV, and just type in Forbidden Knowledge TV app, download the free app, and start watching some content today. Excellent, excellent, my brother. Well, I want to start out, this is actually the first time you've been on here since the Blueprint for God Power Part 2, man. That's, that's right, yeah. Last time you was on here, man, we was just about to, it was about to go down and we was promoting and, uh, man, so many people enjoyed it, benefited from it. And um, so I just want to say it was an honor being a part of that experience with you, man. Definitely an honor. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Yes. Um, it was a great experience to even be a, a presenter or a lecturer or teacher in that entire God Power series that we've done, part one and part two. Because, like I always say, when you're teaching, you're also learning, if, you're, if you are a true teacher. And so... 
even sitting there and hearing Dr. B and taking all that in, it's all going into the cells. It's all going into the Dr. memory. It's B. all going into the consciousness. And then for me to come on and do my part, you know, it just also reinforces for me things that I uh, wholly believe in and things that I try to do every single day. And also, I catch myself in things that I'm teaching sometimes where I go, oh, man, I need more work in that area. So even though I'm teaching it, it's like I'm learning at the same time. Yeah. Also, I want to, um, last time you were here, you weren't a married man, and now right. you're a married man, so I want to congratulate you once again Thank my you. brother Thank you. on getting married. Yeah. Uh, the wedding, I've seen uh, clips of it on Instagram. Yeah. It looked absolutely beautiful, man. How was that like, my brother? Oh, listen, it was amazing. It was an indigenous wedding, which, which was the wedding of my dreams. Mm. You know, I wanted an indigenous wedding. We ended up getting married in Bora Bora which was Elizabeth's choice. And we had the entire tribe come out. The, the, the tribal band, the tribal leaders, the tribal chief is the one that gave us the blessings in the tribal tongue, in the native tongue. And Bora Bora is a very special place because Bora Bora, the ownership of Bora Bora is attributed to, to, to Tahuti. So Tahuti is the one that in ancient times actually owned and at times lived in and stayed in Bora Bora, which is in wow. the French Polynesia in the South Pacific. Tahiti and oh. Bora Bora, that's his, that's his little vacation spot, so to speak. I mean, he's a huge legend there. And if you take a stick, if you could take a stick, imagine this. Go a line through the center of Bora Bora, which is this tiny little dot in the middle of the South Pacific, and go straight through the earth, you'll pop out at where? Egypt. So it's the whole of Egypt. And so Egypt and Bora Bora are intrinsically connected. And so we got married in a very, very special place. Excellent, man. Wow. Yeah. Wow. That, I never knew that about Bora Bora. That's some interesting stuff, man. Oh, it's got a lot of history. I'm getting ready to do a whole video on Bora Bora. They're ancient gods. It looks like an alien. Wow. Uh, they have them in Tahiti. They have them all throughout Bora Bora. It's just crazy. I mean, the, the, the connection there between Thoth and these other people, like the Shatu, that were these builders, these great master builders that encoded wisdom into the structures, they were there. And the statues of them are there in Bora Bora, in the middle of nowhere. Mm. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Well, listen, we um speaking of Tahuti. We're going to be speaking about him tonight. Um, I named mm -hmm. the name of the show, uh, Billy. I named it. Thoth, Jesus, and the Ancient Magicians. Now, yeah. when you start reading this ancient text and watching video and, and reading documentation, there's some interesting stuff that was going down in antiquity, Billy. I mean, shit. I mean, they make us look like I don't know what. But um, it's quite interesting, uh, the, some of the similarities. And I know you did a video comparing, I believe I didn't see it yet, about mm -hmm. Thoth and Jesus. I don't know if you said Jesus was a student of Thoth or what exactly was said in that video. Of course, we'll get to the, what you said in this video. Um, yeah. But, you know, Tahuti, another title for Tahuti is the God of Magic. Mm -hmm. Jesus, you know, actually they say Jesus, he was persecuted because he was a magician. And in fact, in the Talmud, uh, Jewish text, I believe in the last the last line or whatever, the San San... San the Sanhedrin, they talk about uh, Jesus practicing sorcery and corrupting Israel. So we got accounts of these two men, you know, Jesus healed yeah. people, 
uh, 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 Tahuti, the God of Mexico, and stuff like that. So many similarities, and they both these magical things. There's actually, let me see if I have the picture. I had a picture somewhere. Now, this, tell me if you've ever seen this and how accurate this picture is. I seen this, mm-hmm. and then when I see it on YouTube, I said, I'm going to share it. Give me a second, family. I said, I'm going to share it with Billy. Now, this is supposed to be an early depiction of Jesus, mm-hmm. a painting of Jesus using a magic wand. So mm-hmm. uh, I, I don't you know I don't know how accurate this picture is. If you've seen it before, maybe if you did, you can comment. But um, let's talk about Tahuti. Let's talk about Jesus and uh, these ancient magicians. Why were these people? Why did they talk about magic so much? Uh, in yeah. Ancient times, Billy. Well, in ancient times, there was a whole different type of technology that existed, and I mean, I do mean technology, spiritual technology combined with physical, actual, you know, things you can pick up in the third dimension technology. Uh-huh. And so, these people in ancient times were masters of both. They knew how to combine the two together. In this current era, we only focus on a technocratic society. We believe everything is man-made. And we believe that everything that's man-made, running through these, uh, you know, electrical currents and electromagnetic, uh, you know, frequencies, uh, to get inputs and outputs and everything else, and to make things move and so forth and so on, to replicate human movements and replicate human thought, we think that we we're advanced, but we're not advanced. We're barely scratching the surface. We don't even get close to the ancestors until we can combine spirituality with technology. That's the next level. Taking the unseen and making it work with the seen and actually getting a result or an output that you desire. And so back then, they were masters at frequency, masters at language. Language was nothing more than a cymatic frequency. And there used to be something called the language of light back then. Mm. And the language of light was only spoken by, by a very, very few number of people. That was the original pantheon that existed, not the Greek pantheon. The Greek pantheon is nothing more than a copy of the pantheon of the netters that came out of, uh, you know, pre-dynastic Egypt, as well as the Sumerians, which also were all the same people. And so they had this language of light that they would speak and literally could manifest solid matter from conscious thought and vibration of speaking. They had a language that they spoke that no one else was allowed to even begin to speak or they would be killed. And then beneath them, you had the politicians and the upper classmen leveled hieroglyphs and, and language. And then beneath them, you had the lower level or the the poor people's language. The poor people could never speak the middle class, the upper class, or the rich people's language. And then the political people could never speak the language of light. So they had it broken down. You had your class broken down by the language that you actually spoke because they knew that words had true power. And see, Jesus either, like I said in my video, you were talking about earlier, I said, could Thoth and Jesus, a.k.a. Yeshua, be the same person? Or could he have learned from Thoth, the Atlantean, or Tahuti, right? Same person. So there's a lot of similarities, which I'm sure we'll get into tonight. But in my book, Compendium of the Emerald Tablets, I literally break down verses from the Bible and verses from the Emerald Tablets, and I put them side by side. Mm-hmm. As you go down, you begin to say, wait a minute. <laughs> if this is ancient text, and this is only 2,000 years old, not, it's not even 2,000, 
2,000 years old is a farce because we know the Bible was written between 100 AD to 900 AD by Phoenicians, followers of Tahuti. <laughs> so if we know that, then we have to say which comes first, the chicken or the egg. If the compendium, if the Emerald Tablets of Thoth were written 36 or 38,000 years ago, and then we have Yeshua, a.k.a. Jesus, saying the same thing, right, thousands and thousands of years later, he either is Tahuti or he learned from him. And that's where I go into the into my lecture where I'm talking about where did Jesus go when he disappeared from the Bible? In the Bible, he's gone. Age of 12, poof, he's gone. Where did he go? He goes to Egypt. And when I take people on these grand tours of Egypt, I take them to the place where Jesus actually slept, where he lived for some time in Coptic Cairo. The bed that he slept in is a shrine that's still there till this very day and it's guarded. And so he went to Egypt. Why did he go to Egypt? He went there to learn the Egyptian mysteries. From who? Tahuti. He was a student of Tahuti, right? So now, when we say, could he either be Tahuti or is a student of Tahuti? Well, that's a much deeper conversation. I might be a whole other podcast because this guy was such a wizard and magician. He had he had come back and incarnated at will over 10,000 lives, right, according to the Animal Tablets, over the course of 100,000 years. Could he have gotten bored with that and said, you know, I want to come through a womb of a woman and come out and see life as a human being and regain all my memory? So it's a possibility. But either way, he disappears out of the Bible at the age of 12. He goes to, to uh, Egypt. He learns the Egyptian mysteries. Then there's a record of him going throughout Egypt into Nubia and then even leaving there and going to Tibet. What did he learn in Tibet? Yeah. In Tibet. He learned how to heal with Nubia. his hands. He learned the art of Qigong, Reiki, and all these other healing modalities through moving energy through the body. So he became a healer. Again, something that would be considered to be magic-like. And then from there, and that was confirmed by the Dalai Lama, by the way. Then he moved from there down into India, learning the mystic arts. Again, more, quote-unquote, magic. And from there, teaching reincarnation all the way back to Egypt. And then from there, the Bible picks back up at the age of 32. He says, I call, God says, I call my son out of Egypt. And then the next thing you know, he appears at the age of 32, riding in on the back of a, a donkey into Jerusalem. So that's the cycle. So this, this Jesus that people are worshiping all over the world, this guy was a student of the Egyptian mysteries, of Tibetan mysteries, and Indian mysteries. <laughs> he learned magic. Mystic arts, energy movement, all cymatic frequencies, Ooh. and then he comes back to teach the people. Hey, hey, Billy. So, um, you know how Thoth has different names in different, um, like different areas of the, of the earth, um, like mm -hmm. uh, Mexico and Egypt, or yeah. we, they call them Hermes. If, if mm -hmm. let's say, if Jesus went to Tibet or India to learn, does Thoth have any name in India that that would be representative of his energy signature? In India? Um, so in India, it's a possibility that he could be Lord Shiva. Oh, okay. Shiva. That's a possibility. Yeah, yeah. Lord oh. Shiva. Yeah, Lord Shiva. When you study Lord Shiva, has a lot of um, a lot of the same qualities as Tahuti, except the only thing the difference between Tahuti and, and and Lord Shiva. Lord Shiva was blue. He was a blue god. In other words, he was physically actually blue. Mm -hmm. The thing that's amazing about him is he had access to these portals, and we know that though. From Africa, aka Tahuti, he also had access to portals. Mm. And no matter where you go, go around the world, 
portals exist and the rumors that he would step into these portals and disappear. And I've stood inside of some of these stargates that appear to lead into dead end walls that have a little notch inside the uh, the wall, the stone. And they say he would put something in that notch and he would vanish and he'd be somewhere else on the planet. So no matter where you go on earth, like in, I believe he's Lord Shiva, right? I believe also throughout Africa, he's Jahuti, Jahuti, Tahuti, Thoth. Uh, you go into, uh, you know, Europe, all of a sudden he's Odin, he's, he's, uh, he's Mercury. Uh, you go, you go into, um, he's also Thor. You go into, uh, Australia, he's Thoth Amabi, and there's a huge petroglyph etched into the ground there of Thoth with the beak on the back of this thing with this circle with all these spirals going around it. And the, the aboriginals say that's Thoth Amabi on a spaceship flying through the Milky Way galaxy. Then you go to Mesoamerica, which is now, of course, now Mexico and all the South American area. He's known as Quetzalcoatl, Lorpacal, Kukulcan, Veracocha, you know, and you get all these names. It's always the same person in different bodies, same exact quality, same knowledge, the knowledge bringer, the bringer of thought, the bringer of alchemy, science, magic, medicine, healing. It's always the same person. No matter where you go on this planet, you'll find an account of this person being there. So, I mean, who thought that he would be in Bora Bora, of all places? That's just yeah. crazy. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. All right, all right. Let's really, let's really get into this thing now, Billy. Oh, what a great way to start the show. Woo! Shout out to Thorpe. You know what, Billy, I see a lot of people in the chat um, saying, Jesus never existed, Jesus is not real. I'm not saying that a dude who was my savior existed and he's a, the, the only way to God. There was a dude, I believe, Billy, who had it popping like Jesus had it popping, but I don't believe in the whole the, my Christ and, and Savior, no. and I pull no. the worst of this man. You know what I'm saying? That's yeah. how I look at it. But yeah, there was the a brother. Behind the teachings. Yeah, go ahead, buddy. Yeah. You were going to say? No, I was going to say, there was a brother who had it popping, though, like Jesus. But go ahead. Yes. Yeah. Oh, yeah, it was a real person. It was a real physical person. Yeah. I, I don't believe that this, that this person was God, the Savior right. of the world, and right. that we, and, and that his, and that the creator of the universe and maybe even the multiverse says you know what i just can't get the humans to listen to me even though i won't show myself to them and give them anything to give them any solid evidence and i just all these powers i got i just can't control my own creation so i'll create my own son and send him down to die that's pretty sadistic i just don't believe in that story at all because matter of fact in the uh in the um sinai bible Jesus is never even crucified. And that Bible predates the King James Version of the Bible. The, pre- the King James Version is, is, is newer than the Sinai Bible. And they have 14,000 discrepancies between the two. And I don't believe he was ever executed or hung or, or crucified in any kind of way. I believe that was added much later by the Romans. Um, even hell was added. We know that for a fact by the Catholic Church. And we know that the rapture was also added by uh, Darby in, uh, I think it was 1835 or something like that. So even that was added. So we're looking at a remixed version of history, but this guy, I believe that he definitely was a real person. He was trying to teach people, um, you know, alchemy and magic science, which is how to combine spirituality and technology and understand that the body itself is a phenomenal spiritual machine and you can access the power within yourself. And I don't believe that his, I believe that his mission was to teach people how to access Christ's consciousness. Jesus Christ wasn't the first Christ. He's just one of dozens that already existed. The further back you go, you find more Christ like Horus, right? right, right. And so forth. So, and with the same similar stories, but 
But Jesus was trying to say, hey, I'm not coming back. The Christ conscious will return. And that's when we all go inside to here and we access the higher level of dimensional thinking and processing in our own minds and our own bodies and bring that to fruition here on earth and convert this hell into heaven. I think that was a real mission. You know, I remember when I was young, I mean, like around 19, there was a book floating around on the streets of New York, Harlem, New York. It was called, um, the third, I think, it might have been called The 33 Crucified Saviors. You, remember, mm. you, you ever heard of that book? No, I haven't heard of that one. Well, well, they talked about what you just mentioned, how there has been many Christs, not just this. Oh, it's the Zeitgeist, right. Yeah, just many Christs throughout time. Mm -hmm. um, but I'm wondering, curious, I'm, I'm, I'm curious, and I'm wondering, Billy, you're, 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 you're well studied, you know a lot about history, Billy, you're well traveled. Can you name me, are there any, if there's 33 crucified saviors or, or however many, is there any that are women that stick out? Are there any women saviors that hit planet Earth like Jesus, like Tahuti, or like whoever, and they got quote-unquote crucified for telling the truth? See, this is where the story always tends to get a little, a little weird. Mm -hmm. I'm glad you brought this question up. Yes. What we see when we look at these Abrahamic religions, when we look at Christianity and Islam and all these other religions, mm. it's predominantly 1,000% male-dominated. Mm. And we have this male or masculine energy that's always being portrayed, and it's typically always a man. It's like, it's always a man. Even God has been attributed with an actual gender. You got to call God he, him, right? I'm his, I'm his son, I'm his daughter, or whatever. And so I think where we can see evidence of tinkering with ancient texts is the fact that it's the fact that it's always seems to be extremely male dominated. And even when you look into not even too far into the past, I'm talking about from the last maybe hundred years, women couldn't go into church. Women could never speak in the in the temple. They couldn't do this. They couldn't the the the, the women was completely were and still are oppressed. They're right. just not beginning to break out of that in certain parts of the world, right? When you go to the Middle East or you go to Egypt and Africa, you see the evidence of the oppression of the feminine energy. Everything is dirty. Everything is one color. There's no flowers. It looks like a gigantic bachelor pad. When you look at the world <laughs> as a whole, if you look at the macro aspects of male dominance, you see wars and killing and abduction and nuclear weapons, and we're going to fight you for this land like what's going on right now over there in Gaza. We're going to kill you and wipe your whole family out so we can take this land because we don't think you deserve it. We want your resources. We're going to go steal resources over here and resources over there. That's all toxic male-dominant energy. And the planet itself is full of toxic male-dominant energy. There's not a balance here. Until we regain balance between masculine, divine masculine, divine feminine, there's always going to be this off feeling or this frequency that's not going to be matched. And because of that, we're going to see what we see going on here. So you have to get back into a certain level of balance. And right now, when you look at ancient texts, the only text that talks about women ever ruling this planet is the Sumerian king's list. And one account in the Egyptian king's list, Hepjetsut, ruled for 20 years. She was a woman, but she had to pretend that she was a man. All her images had to be called as a man. She had to tell everybody that she was really a man and hide behind being a woman. But in the Sumerian kings list, actual women actually ruled the entire planet. Billy, do you gravitate more toward uh, ancient Egypt or Sumeria? Just spiritually speaking, like you know. 
Well, I tell you, I gravitate more towards ancient Egypt because it's post-alluvial. And Sumeria, the only thing I can do there is I can see some really, really old ruins if I want to risk my life and go to certain parts of Iraq. Yes. I don't want to go to Iraq right now, you know what I'm saying? But um, I'm going to be going to Turkey soon. There's a lot of evidence there as well of a, of a, of a civilization that goes before the actual Great Flood. But I'm drawn there just because we know that everything started back there after the major, major Great Flood that occurred in the Animal Tablets. Um, and there's a lot of evidence there, a lot of evidence of these ancient builders, the ancient builder race, which has still kind of sustained itself over the ages, that we can actually, I can get access to, I can go into these shafts, I can go underneath temples and pyramids, I can go to hidden crypts and areas that I just can't get to in other places. I'm, I'm looking to experience the same thing in Turkey when I go there. I'm taking 80 people to Turkey uh, in September of next year. And we're going to go to Gobekli Tepe, Derun Kuyu, Karahan Tepe, and all these incredible underground places and all these ancient temples and sites and begin to make the connections between Africa and Turkey. Um, but right now, still, it's like I know every time I go to Africa and I visit Egypt, I'm going to see something new every single time. And because my clout is so big there, I get a chance to see things that nobody on this planet still to this day have never seen. You alleged in, I heard you alleged in Egypt, Jeremy. Yeah, I heard yeah. you. I heard it for real, for real. Like you, you superstar yeah. status over there. Yeah, I'm, I'm pretty. The the governors, the 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 president, the the people who are in charge of antiquities, the board of antiquities, all the people that are in charge of all these ancient sites, and the people who are like literally in charge of locking the doors and keeping people out, or allowing the military to come in. They're all really good friends. They're all very very good people. Incredible men that, um, you know, have taken a liking to me. Uh, and for that reason, uh, we've been able to get a lot of super VIP access. And then we have Muhammad Ibrahim, who is our main connection over there that, man, this guy is just an amazing guy. Matter of fact, I just published his first book, which became a bestseller in one day, Egypt wow. Before the Written History, is the name of the book. And uh, he's a homegrown Egypt, Egyptologist. He was born there, grown there, lived there. And uh, we partnered together. We have two brand new... Um, Mercedes-Benz uh, tour buses, two brand new cruise ships. We only put our people in five-star hotels, and we do we do private visits all throughout Egypt. Private visit means when we show up, all the tourists got to get out because now it's forbidden family time. That's the level that we have over there. Indeed. Uh, yeah, Mark. Thanks for correcting me. The name of the book is called Sixteen Crucified Saviors. Mm. So if anybody wants okay. to purchase the book. Hopefully it's still on Amazon. I know a lot of books are not as, as available as they were in the past, but yeah, 16 Crucified Saviors. Thanks for um, clarifying that, uh, Mark. So, Billy, so we're talking about Thoth. We're talking about Jesus. We're talking about ancient magicians. We're talking about ancient cultures. A, a topic that will definitely come up, and you can look at the ancient structures that they built, is the topic of sacred geometry, Billy. Now, sacred, what's interesting about sacred geometry, Billy, is that, and, and I and I want to study more, I, I really got to study more and more about sacred geometry, because it, it acts like an antenna to resonate mm. with higher planes of creation. What What's interesting, what I think is quite interesting, Billy, is that, like, let's say we got this pyramid right here, perfect mm -hmm. pyramid, yeah. a lot of people have these in their home, I'm sure you have yeah. some, the Oregon pyramids, and it's like a perfect pyramid. Now, mm -hmm. We know antennas come in different shapes and sizes. So if geometry, sacred geometry acts as an antenna to resonate with higher 
explains the creation that what the ancients did, Billy, this is interesting. This is a perfect pyramid. What the ancients mm-hmm. did was they modified modified the shape of the Great Pyramid, where you just came from, with a slight indentation in the center. And you can only see yeah. it from the sky. So it's not a right. perfect pyramid like this. It's a slight indentation. You can only mm-hmm. see it from the sky. So what they essentially did from my, from what I, what I learned, Billy, is that they changed the resonance of this pyramid so that it can align with a certain force in, in a certain dimension. My question yeah. to you, Billy, is if the ancients, if we're trying to emulate the ancients and they got their pyramids with an indentation, why we ain't got it in our stuff? If this supposed <laughs> to be taken, should we, should we emulate that? Should we, because all of us got a bunch yeah. of pyramids, fancy pyramids and right. all. Shouldn't we start having pyramids that are slightly off-center the same yeah. way we do in Egypt? Now, that's a good point you bring up. The Great Pyramid at Giza is an eight-sided pyramid. And you can only yeah. see it from a particular particular angle in the sky with the sun in a particular part of the sky. And then you can begin to see the shadows and the angle. Of course, you can also be on the ground and measure the angles. But the Great Pyramid of Giza is an eight-sided pyramid. We know that Tahuti was the god of eight. And even what he did was he went and built the Pyramid of the Sun. That's my favorite, number two. In Teotihuacan, Mexico. It's infinity out of sight. The Pyramid of the Moon, he built for his wife, Mayotte. And he built that, it's eight pyramids stacked on top of each other in Mexico. He's a god of eight. So everywhere you go, you're going to see a lot of eight resonating with the Hootie, a.k.a. Salt the Atlantean. Um, but yeah, we should take our, like, I, I sell those same resin pyramids, those Oregon pyramids, uh, on my website, for example, for years. One of my first products was those same exact pyramids. But you're right, we should find a way to, you know, to make some of them eight-sided. Russia took pyramids. And they uh, hollowed them out. They built hollow pyramids in a laboratory setting outside. And they began to plant crops underneath the pyramids and took the same exact type of crops and planted them on the outside of the pyramid. And in these experiments, the crop they planted inside the pyramid structure in the sacred geometry grew almost twice as fast and were almost twice as abundant as the ones that were planted on the outside in the same exact soil. So they found out that there's something to do with the angles, right? A- accessing these angles or these angels, uh, to accessing this higher dimensional energy that feeds the third dimension that can be harnessed and utilized by third dimensional life forms. And so, uh, you know, this is incredible because then that si- same experiment was replicated many times, and we now know that a pyramid structure harnesses natural energy. Not just harnesses it, but can actually transmute it into living things. Yeah, I mean, even we're talking about sacred geometry. Even the king's chamber, is once you get to it, they say it's not in the exact middle. It's like six degrees off center. So mm-hmm. they say that that the ancients were looking to get a certain carrier wave. So when they do rituals in that king's chamber, they have a certain carrier wave to contact or do you know contact certain frequencies. So yeah, man, it, it, it's it's. When you, when you study sacred geometries and shapes and things like that, it gets real interesting. Um, yeah, yeah. Sacred geometry is powerful. Powerful stuff. The Great Pyramid is a, is a great example. Not all the pyramids, but we know now that there's a pyramid grid, which is going to be... We have a new video coming up before you go on yeah. that's going to be coming out very soon talking about all the pyramids around the entire planet. We found a key code. We, meaning Robert Grant and myself, have discovered a key code to the pyramids around the entire planet through the sacred geometry, that the work that Robert Grant, Robert Edward Grant has done, we've discovered its musical notes. 
And because of this musical note, where pyramids should be, and we discover that even when you go to those locations on the map, you discover that there's a broken, broken down or dilapidated, well, collapsed pyramid structure there, or either it's underwater. Ooh. And this new grid that we've developed uh, will allow us to find every single pyramid on planet Earth, and we're now collecting all the notes through this method. And the only thing is to figure out what song does it play and what order to play these notes in. And when you play those notes, what does it activate? I mean, well, by finding these pyramids, Billy, you and Robert Grant, will you essentially be finding the energy centers of Earth? Yeah, well, because they, 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 built, they built the temples on top of these energy centers. That's like that's the right. meridians or the chakras of the Earth, right? Yeah. And you take the good, anybody can just go to usgs.gov and take the Earth's magnetic field grid map, right? And you can overlay it on, uh, on top of the locations of ancient sites and temples and pyramids around the planet. And you'll discover that huge magnetic field whipped out of the Earth right underneath these ancient megalithic sites. How in the world did these people know that? And why did they use those particular spots? They learned how to harness Earth's ambient electromagnetic energy. They harnessed it and utilized it probably in some form of the, the anti-gravity and everything else that they were doing. Hey, Billy, a quick thought I have. Let me ask you your, your, your opinion. Um, if the Earth has energy centers, like our body has main energy points, and these points make uh, are, are e it makes it easy to access certain high frequencies, do you think that's why they charge high rent in places like New York or certain energy centers across the globe, so certain people won't have access to these energy centers? Do you think that's why they do that? Uh, it's possible. Um, you know, that's an, that's an interesting, interesting question. You know that New York... Washington, D.C., a lot of these big cities, LA. they're built with L.A., they're built with a lot of the, the premises behind it is a lot of sacred geometry and brick masonry, knowledge encoded in, into the structures, energy encoded into the structures for a particular reason, which is probably why some of those are the quote-unquote the big cities of the United States, right. even though times are kind of changing and we see this rising kind of a slight fall, but they have sustained over time as the top. And you ask yourself, why? Why is this place so, quote-unquote, popular or big? Exactly. With state taxes, <laughs> fires, no fresh water, crime, and still they continue to people flocking there and, and yeah. people, three, four, five people living in one bedroom apart. Why is this happening? Yeah. It has something to do, I think, with the energy. I think that they've discovered a way to harness you know, I don't think they're trying to keep people, I think they're trying to find a way to actually harness the conscious energy of people in a way that draws them to a particular area so they can profit off of them. Oh. I think that it's a, yeah, I think that's, that's what I feel. It feels oh. like they're, they found a way to captivate or, cult or, or create a, a consciousness prison and keep people locked in. Um, and the only people that escape are the ones like you who finally wake up and tap into that higher self and say, wait a minute, why am I in this matrix, and you got out. You escaped. You literally escaped. Yeah, wow. That is an interesting theory there, Billy. I did not think about that. Wow, that is very interesting. We always have these great conversations, man. I, I, I miss you on here, Billy. I miss you on here, man. Great conversation so far. Wow, wonderful show. Listen, Billy, so I see somebody in the chat mentioned Platonic Solids. So I had a, yeah. I had a question about the Platonic Solids. Um... 
a lot of people know Platonic solids. People think about Plato, uh, right. in Greece. Um, mm-hmm. They say the four Platonic solids correlate with different forces in nature: fire, earth, air, water. And the fifth element, the fifth Platonic solid, um, is ether, prana, mm-hmm. chi. Now, Plato, the person who came up with these Platonic solids, well, he he obviously got his information from somewhere else. He said in one of his works, I forgot what exactly, but Billy, he said, looking at the earth from above, it looks like a 12-sided ball. Mm-hmm. Now, a 12-sided yeah. ball is a dodecahedron. Dodecahedron, right. Yes. So now, Billy, you, I, I know you get on the flat earthers, the flat earthers, they, they think everything is flat. Yeah. What do you think about the idea of the earth and the universe, according to Plato, being a dodecahedron, Billy? I talked about this one of my one of my most famous lectures that I've ever done. Which one? It was a lecture that I, that I did on the fractal holographic universe. It was a three and a half hour lecture I did in California in 2018. Right. And so uh, I'm glad you brought this up. I haven't talked about this in a while. But if you if you look at the new physics and studies going on at universities in quantum mechanics and quantum physics. They've discovered something. They've discovered how they can make an eighth-dimensional quasi-crystal. Mm. And this eighth-dimensional quasi-crystal, it actually casts down something that they can actually physically see, which is a fourth-dimensional quasi-crystal. And when the fourth-dimensional quasi-crystal is moved into a particular angle, angels mm. and angles again, right, dimensional angle, it casts a shadow. The shadow that it casts is a dodecahedron, that's close to being a sphere. And they believe now, theoretical physicists believe, that that is our universe. That the third dimensional universe is a light matrix shadow from a higher dimension. And they believe they've been able to recreate the universe in a laboratory using an eighth dimensional quasi-crystal down to a fourth dimensional quasi-crystal to cast a shadow down to an actual dodecahedron sphere that is the universe itself. What's, what, what's, what's the name of this YouTube video, Billy? I gotta see that. Sitting on TV. It was my oh, fractal holographic universe uh, three and a half hour lecture that I did at Contact in the Desert. I think it was 2018. Now I've got the rights to it, so it's on Forbidden All TV. They, they got them a member. Family, make sure y'all sign up. <laughs> y'all should sign up just for this one alone. I didn't even, wow, I didn't know you, wow, that, that's dope, man. You. Okay, okay, brother, you want it, you want it. Well, let me read you a quote by, by somebody. Okay. That I find quite interesting. Uh, this is by Dr. Robert Gilbert. He's been on Gaia. Um, Gaia as well, Billy. He's been on, mm-hmm. da- I think this is from Dana, Dana pa- what's the name, Dana Patrick? Danica Patrick, the race yeah, car yeah. driver. So, yeah, yeah so this, is, this was on her show. She said, the ancients knew of a design code behind everything in creation. This became expressed through things like the hieroglyphic text. There are certain, there are certain energy and emanations coming from certain hieroglyphics. Some of them have highly vibrational waves coming off of them because of the shape formation. It creates an energetic effect. So based on what he says, Billy, should we, you know, we got these hieroglyphics. We think it's just simple, right? And he's saying that these things are highly vibrational waves. They got energy animating from them. Uh, uh, um, Billy, should we implement these more in our life? I mean, 
Yeah. Proper English does not do this. It has a definition, and that and that's what that word means. Slang allows one word to mean so many different things. In terms of connecting with who we were in antiquity and connecting with um, light language and connecting with who we are, what do you think aligns more with that, slang or English, or proper English? Well, a lot of people around the world look down on slang. They look down on it as if it's something that um, is inappropriate or there's a low-level language and only poor people or thugs use this. You know, that's actually a misconception. Yeah. And I'm glad you brought this up. That's a misconception. Slang, or quote-unquote what they call ebonics, right, in the in our modern idiom, is one of the most difficult things to learn on the planet. <laughs> one of the most difficult. <laughs> the fact that we can speak like that is, is showing the world and the universe the level of knowledge and understanding that we're able to convey utilizing remix, change, or even just an energy level output of a word or a phrase and giving a, a person a completely different understanding of what we're trying to convey to them based on what we're saying, how we're saying it, what we've changed it to, and even the same word being used over and over again, but with a different type of energy behind it. And so it's one of the hardest, hardest things to learn. There's been many movies that kind of make a play off of this as a comedy, like trying to keep up with what a person really means when they're using slang versus what, you know, what's real. What, what they consider to be normal king's language, and they just, it's like they're corny because they just can't get it, right? Yeah. And so we see this comedy played out over and over again in Hollywood movies. But the mm -hmm. fact that, that we as a people can do this and do it so skillfully and artistically, it, it's really a, a, an attribute to our high level of intelligence mm -hmm. because it's not something that's easy to pick up. If you grew up in a civilization or a society uh, like a Europe or somewhere else in the world, and you you start to hear these ebonics, and you just can't pick up on it. But what's interesting is if you go somewhere else in the world where you run into people like us, all of a sudden they can begin to pick up on it pretty quickly. I've done this. I've been around the world dozens and dozens of times. I've been everywhere. Mm -hmm. And so it's really interesting to see how some people can get it and some people <laughs> just can't get it. The, the, the slight inflections, the slight energy changes, and the, 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 you know, the shift in the voice, and the way the word is said and spoken, the amount of force or the less force behind it, and how we re remix and change things around, it's pretty interesting. It's pretty cool. And so I, I love the fact that we can do that because it shows that we really have our own separate language. It's almost like, you know, Haitians have Creole. So they have, they have their versions. You know, they took French and turned it into Creole. You know, the same exact thing. Uh, you know, Sac Passe, all my, my Haitians out there. Uh, but yeah, so it's really it's really incredible we have that capability. Yeah, I, I always thought it was fascinating. I remember one time a speaker by the name of Bobby Hammond when he was talking about it, he said that it's our inferiority complex that can't see the greatness and th things like that that we do. You know, mm -hmm. uh, if, if if it was any other race, he said if it was any other race who came up with something like system like that, they will be considered geniuses. So uh, yeah, just keep that in mind. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I, I just keep that in mind, and I just think that it's it's uh, absolutely fascinating. Let me ask you this, Billy. With, with, like I said, a great conversation. We're talking about vibrations, frequencies, resonance. Um, in terms of manifestation in the ancients and how they did their thing and how we do our thing, they had a lot of gods. 
for different things. They had a God for fertility. Uh, they had a God for when the brothers wanted to get wrecked. They had a God for health and prosperity. We, we have this one God. Well, we just call him this one God for everything. And those who are in, let's say, the new age or the um, um, this new movement um, that's resurrecting old information like you, let's say for you, for example, Billy, you would just tap into the vibration of what you want to accomplish. You'll say, I want to be wealthy. You'll feel the, uh, the you'll feel the vibration of wealth before you even have it so you can bring it to you. Do you mm-hmm. think that, what do you think about that form of manifestation versus calling on the God of prosperity, Lakshmi? I call on Lakshmi versus Billy Carson. He doesn't call on Lakshmi. He don't call on anybody. He just taps into a feeling. So what do you think about yeah. tapping into a feeling versus calling on a God, Billy? That's a good question. So you look at the ancient uh, past, you'll see that, like you said, there were always these multiple gods, this pantheon of gods in, in every all these different cultures. But what the elite of the elite didn't tell the people is that they had the power inside of them. So they actually you got the people to begin to give their energy to these outside sources in order to try to manifest their reality. And in most cases, it just didn't really work the way that they wanted it to. Because at the end of the day, they still had to bring them offerings. They still had to do the work and the labor and everything else. They still had a, you know, a pretty rough life. Now, the the benefit to the elites or these quote-unquote gods or these high-level priests was the fact that they kept the people coming to them to give them their tithes, give them their offerings, bring them their their fresh food. So they would kill these cattle and the cows and and lambs and bring it to them. And when I take people to Egypt, I show them the storehouses where they would store this food at these ancient temples. It was their meat to eat. They were bringing food to these people because these people were damn sure not going to go hunting. Okay, right, they right. weren't going to buy anything either. Right. They were getting, they manipulated the population in a way to call on all these deities to make all these offerings, and they would bring all their corn, their fresh harvest, their best harvest of apples, or whatever it was that they had to bring, and they would bring these harvests, these, these as offerings. And this was these people's food, and that food was so abundant it actually even turned into wealth. And so I show people this when I take them to Egypt. This is all really a scam. So getting them to relinquish their power to outside sources was a trick of the mind that they utilize on people. The real truth is the way you said I do it and you do it. We get into the feeling of abundance. We get into the feeling of manifestation of what we're trying to bring into our reality. And when we get into that emotion of it and believe that it's done before it's even done, that is the true power that exists in every single person walking this planet, probably even throughout the entire multiverse. We have this power, and we can bring our reality into existence through getting into a certain mind state, a mental state, not by relinquishing our power to the outside, but taking a journey to inner space and tapping into our inner power on the inside and accessing that portal. And when we learn how to master that, that's when our reality becomes easy to manifest. Individually, we are all recreating our own reality tunnel. As a whole, we're collectively creating reality. Yeah, excellent, excellent. Yeah, that way, in the way you talk about where myself, you, you, you know, we tap into the emotion of what we want to accomplish. Accomplish, it's, 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 it's fun. It makes manifestation fun, Billy, because I'm, I'm going to tell you something, Billy. When, when I'm, like, let's say I'm meditating or I'm visualizing I'm not thinking about manifesting a million dollar home 
I'm thinking about, I'm enjoying the imagination, the idea of having it right at that time. So when I'm yeah. imagining it, I'm so much in the emotion, I'm enjoying it. I'm not thinking about, oh, please let it come five years from now. I'm just enjoying it like I'm a kid. And I act like mm -hmm. I'm, I'm, you know, I got a magical donkey or something like, like I'm really yeah. in the moment. So it, the, the yeah. manifestation process is so fun when you look at it from the way me and you uh, uh, do it, Billy. Definitely. Definitely. Yeah, no, I love it. It's so powerful because you can literally begin to learn how to shape and create your own reality. And when you become really powerful at doing this, you really have to be careful what you think and what you say because things begin to manifest even faster and faster. I can think of something or say something and it'll begin to pop into my life almost within the next 30 minutes to an hour. The opportunities are grand. Like I, if I believe that I, I come up with a great idea or something and I begin to say, this is what I want to do and will accomplish, all of a sudden the connection to be able to make that happen pops up into my life. And it, But it takes practice, it takes time. Some people are more adept to it and some people aren't. This is why I have my Manifest Destiny workshops every year to try to get people in that motion of understanding how to tap into these frequencies and energies and how to become the creator or the ordainer of their own destiny. Yo, Billy, I have got to thank you, my brother. Your, your section, um, when, you, when you was on the Blueprint for God Part Part 2 and you did the, um, the dream meditation and just, uh. talk, and just talking to you, I remember we did a show promoting the workshop and you was talking about you know, um, consciously dreaming, not just dreaming haphazardly and just dreaming about bacon or, you know, whatever, whatever, <laughs> like, you know, you really take control of your dreams and that has been something I've been working on diligently since right. Blueprint for God Power 2 and I'm going to tell you, man, Billy, you personally have taken me to the next level with that alone, that workshop, that alone, and I want you to continue to teach that message and manifest destiny, but people don't do that, Billy, and I'm, I'm like, Yo, Billy's so productive during the day, and he's so this, and he's, you really give your subconscious instructions before you go to sleep, and when you wake yeah. up, this avatar is moving, this avatar, yeah. your, your avatar gets busy, Billy, so I want to thank you, because, you know, it's the, it's the, it's the, they say the best time to program your subconscious before you go to sleep, and then you wake up first mm -hmm. thing in the morning, and I see you take full advantage of that, so I want to yeah. thank you for teaching us that in Blueprint for God Power 2. And man, it's, it's just, you know, I see why you're so, you're on the level of success that you are, my brother. So just keep up the good work. Thank you, know, you, man. I appreciate that, man. I appreciate that because, you know, you've actually, you've been to my house. You've seen the evidence. You've been with me. We've, 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 spent, we've broken bread together, you know. So I appreciate the fact that you can testify to that because I really try to live what I teach. I'm not one of these people that teaches and just be on the side doing all kind of crazy stuff. I know a few people like that. I'm like, oh, my goodness, these people don't even care about what they're teaching, but I really care about what I teach and I practice what I teach. I actually Im implement this stuff into my real life because I want my life to show the evidence of what I'm teaching. Mm -hmm. Because, you know, I feel like this, if, if somebody's telling you the power's in you and you can manifest your reality and, and you're a God walking in the flesh and all these things and they can't manifest a light bill, then who wants to listen to a person like that? So some people say, well, man, he's too flashy, he's too this, he's always got nice vacations and nice cars, houses and cars. Well, that's the reality that I want to manifest, and I want to show people that you can have knowledge, be smart and intelligent, and still manifest a life like this. You don't have to be uh, a person riding around with holes in your shoes and holes in your jeans, thinking, riding a bike down the street or walking. 
if you want to do that, that's fine. But if you want to have nice things, I believe in making myself as comfortable as I possibly can while I'm in this third dimension right now. I'm not going to wait to die so I can live. I decided actively and consciously I'm going to live now. And when I'm out of, done with this corporeal meat suit, I'm going to come back in another dimension and I'm going to duplicate whatever the highest level is there. I'm going to achieve that there too. See, that's the mindset that I, that I live by. Hey, Billy, any, any idea about why in antiquity we got our way of doing things in terms of them? You always hear about the magic wand. Anything that you could tell me about, historically speaking, why magicians were always associated with a magic wand, Billy? Well, the magic wand is a pretty interesting tool for a magician because it gives you a certain level of distraction. Magic even in the form of what I call real magic, like these ancients would do, mm-hmm. it also is about getting the mind and the eyes into certain levels of movement. You know, the wand is always moving, right? Mm-hmm. A lot of the times, it'll be making this, this figure eight movement, which is the infinity symbol. Mm-hmm. And the wand is moving in circles, right? Which is also, we know it's, it's like a portal. So mm-hmm. it's giving you these eye, this eye sensory perception that has this movement going on. And so it gives you this other ability to, to, to get the left and the right brain working right before the magician is getting ready to operate with the mastery of his or her trick. Or in the case of a real magician like Tahuti, the real magic begins to occur. And so the wand is, is, a different, is a certain kind of tool because wherever the wand goes, that's where the eyes go. However the wand moves, that's how the eyes move. You can even hypnotize somebody by a wand. So the wand is like a powerful tool to get the eye and the focus in a particular area for the purpose of the magician being able to, uh, you know, create the magic or perform the trick or the stunt or whatever it is they're trying to accomplish. Excellent. Let me ask you this question now, Billy. Um, let me see. I got to pull something on the screen. Okay. Oh, no, not this one. It ain't. It looks like pizza right there. Uh, I don't know why it's not. Oh, that's so here, Lynn. It's so small. That's yeah. so. Yeah. Okay. Um, so do we see this? Okay, so let me read it. Let me read it. Uh, you can't see it anyway, but let me read it. Read it. Uh, this is somebody's Facebook post. I was doing some research, and this is one of the things that came up. I was researching Thog Tahuti. And this came up, and I found this to be quite interesting, uh, based upon something you said and something Rod Hayes has said before. Mm. Um, It's talking about Yahweh. It said, did you know a major title to Hootie, God of Wisdom, is Ayah. I hope I'm saying that. I-A-H. He is called Ayah to Hootie. In this form, he has the crescent moon, Ayah, which is Ayah, on his headdress. Yah, or Hai, or Yah, is the corruption of this title, Aya. Did you know that the bird that represents Tahuti, usually called an ibis, crane-headed bird, is called Habu or Habi in the language? Habi is, prena- is pronounced Habwa. And Habwa was corrupted in a Hawe, just as H, Y, J, and I have interchanged. Uh, Jesus, Yesu, Isa, all right, so basically what he's trying to say, let me just say, so basically what he's trying to say is, Tahuti 
used to be called Yahweh. That's what he's basically trying to say. Because I don't know about all these pronunciations, but what he's trying to say is that Serhuti, uh it used to be called Yahweh was a name for Serhuti as well. Now I know you talk about and so we're going to listen to the rest of this Billy Carson Thoughts, Jesus and the Ancient Magicians. Considered to be normal king's language, and they just, it's like they're corny because they just can't get it, right? And so we see this comedy played out over and over again in Hollywood movies. But the fact that, that we as a people can do this and do it so skillfully and artistically, it, it's really a, a, an attribute to our high level of intelligence. Because it's not something that's easy to pick up. If you grew up in a civilization society, uh, like a Europe or somewhere else in the world, and you, you start to hear these ebonics, and you just can't pick up on it. But what's interesting is, if you go somewhere else in the world where you run into people like us, all of a sudden, they can begin to pick up on it pretty quickly. I've done this. I've been around the world dozens and dozens of times. I've been everywhere. And so it's really interesting to see how some people can get it and some people just can't get it. The, the, the slight inflections, the slight energy changes, and the, 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 you know, the shift in the voice and the way the word is said and spoken, the amount of force or the less force behind it, and how we re remix and change things around, it's pretty interesting. It's pretty cool. And so I, I love the fact that we can do that because it shows that we really have our own separate language. It's almost like... You know, Haitians have Creole, so they have they have their version. You know, they took French and turned it into Creole. You know, the same exact thing. Uh, you know, Sac Passe, all my my Haitians out there. Uh, but yeah, so it's really it's really incredible we have that capability. Yeah, I, I always thought it was fascinating. I remember one time a speaker by the name of Bobby Hammond when he was talking about it. He said that it's our inferiority complex that can't see the greatness of things like that that we do. You know. Mm -hmm. uh, if, if, if there's any other race, he said, if there's any other race who came up with something like system like that, they will be considered geniuses. So, uh, yeah, I just keep that in mind. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I just keep that in mind, and I just think that it's it's uh, absolutely fascinating. Let me ask you this, Billy. With, with like I said, a great conversation. We're talking about vibration, frequencies, resonance. Um, in terms of manifestation in the ancients and how they did their thing and how we do our thing, they had a lot of gods. For different things, they had a god for fertility. The uh, they had a god for when the brothers wanted to get wrecked. They had a god for health and prosperity. We we have this one god. Well, we just call him this one god for everything. And those who are in, let's say, the new age or the um, um, this new movement um, that's resurrecting old information, like you, let's say for you, for example, Billy, you would just tap into the vibration of what you want to accomplish. You'll say, "I want to be wealthy." You'll feel the, out, the you'll feel the vibration of wealth before you even have it, so you can bring it to you. Do you mm -hmm. think that? What do you think about that form of manifestation versus calling on the god of prosperity, Lakshmi? I call on Lakshmi versus Billy Carson. He doesn't call on Lakshmi. He don't call on anybody. He just taps into a feeling. So what do you think about yeah. tapping into a feeling versus calling on a god, Billy? That's a good question. So you look at the ancient uh, past. You'll see that, like you said, there were always these multiple gods, this pantheon of gods in, in every all these different cultures. Right. But what the elite of the elites didn't tell the people is that they had the power inside of them. Okay. So they actually you got the people to begin to give their energy to these outside sources in order to try to manifest their reality. And in most cases, 
it just didn't really work the way that they wanted it to. Because at the end of the day, they still had to bring them offerings. They still had to do the work and the labor and everything else. Still had, a, you know, a pretty rough life. Now, the the benefit to the elites or these quote unquote gods or these high level priests was the fact that they kept the people coming to them to give them their tithes, give them their offerings, bring them their their their, their fresh food. So they would kill these cattle and the cows and and lambs and bring it to them. Right. And when I take people to Egypt, I show them the storehouses where they would store this food at these ancient temples. It was their meat to eat. They were bringing food to these people because these people were damn sure not going to go hunting, okay? Right, they right, weren't going right. to buy anything either. Right. They were getting, they manipulated the population in a way to call on all these deities and make all these offerings, and it would bring all their corn, their fresh harvest, their best harvest of apples, or whatever it was that they had to bring. And they would bring these harvests these, these, as offerings, and this was these people's food, and that food was so abundant, it actually even turned into wealth. And so I show people this when I take them to Egypt. This is all really a scam. So getting them to relinquish their power to outside sources was a trick of the mind that they utilized on people. The real truth is the way you said I do it and you do it. We get into the feeling of abundance. We get into the feeling of manifestation of what we're trying to bring into our reality. And when we get into that emotion of it and believe that it's done before it's even done, that is the true power that exists in every single person walking this planet, probably even throughout the entire multiverse, we have this power. And we can bring our reality into existence through getting into a certain mind state, a mental state, not by relinquishing our power to the outside, but taking a journey to inner space and tapping into our inner power on the inside and accessing that portal. And when we learn how to master that, that's when our reality becomes easy to manifest. Individually, we are all recreating our own reality tunnel. As a whole, we're collectively creating reality. Yeah, excellent, excellent. Yeah, that way, in the way you talk about where myself and you, you know, we tap into the emotion of what we want to accomplish. It's, 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 it's fun. It makes manifestation fun, Billy, because I'm, I'm going to tell you something, Billy, but when I'm, like, let's say I'm meditating or I'm visualizing I'm not thinking about manifesting a million dollar home. I'm thinking about, I'm enjoying the imagination, the idea of having it right at that time. So when I'm yeah. imagining, I'm so much in the emotion, I'm enjoying it. I'm not thinking about, oh, please let it come five years from now. I'm just enjoying it like I'm a kid. And I act like mm -hmm. I'm, I'm, you know, I got a magical donkey or something like, like I'm really yeah. in the moment. So it's that the yeah. manifestation process is so fun. When you look at it from the way me and you are doing it, definitely. Yeah, I love it. It's so powerful because you can literally begin to learn how to shape and create your own reality. And when you become really powerful at doing this, you really have to be careful what you think and what you say because things begin to manifest even faster and faster. I can think of something or say something and it'll begin to pop into my life almost within the next 30 minutes to an hour. The opportunities are grand. Like, I, if I believe that I, I come up with a great idea or something and I begin to say, this is what I want to do and will accomplish, all of a sudden the connection to be able to make that happen pops up into my life. And it, But it takes practice. It takes time. Some people are more adept to it and some people aren't. This is why I have my Manifest Destiny workshops every year to try to get people in that motion of understanding how to tap into these frequencies and energies and how to become the creator or the ordainer of their own destiny. Billy, I have got to thank you, my brother. 
the section um when you when you was on the blueprint for Godfall Part Two and you did the um the dream meditation and just uh. talk, and just talking to you. I remember we did a show promoting the workshop and you was talking about you know um, consciously dreaming, not just dreaming haphazardly and just dreaming about bacon or you know whatever whatever <laughs> like. You know, you really take control of your dreams, and that has been something I've been working on diligently since right. Blueprint for God Power 2. And I'm going to tell you, man, Billy, you personally have taken me to the next level with that alone. That workshop, that alone, and I want you to continue to teach that message and manifest destiny. But people don't do that, Billy. And I'm, what I'm like, yo, Billy's so productive during the day, and he's so this, and he's, you really give your subconscious instructions before you go to sleep. And when you wake yeah. up, this avatar is moving. This av- yeah. your, your avatar gets busy, Billy. So I want to thank you because, you know, it's the, it's the, it's the, they say the best time to program your subconscious before you go to sleep and when you wake up first thing in the morning. And I see you take full advantage of that. So I want to yeah. thank you for teaching us that in Blueprint for God Power 2. And, man, it's, it's just, you know, I see why you're so, you're on the level of success that you are, my brother. So just keep up the good work. Thank you, man. I appreciate that, man. I appreciate that because, you know, you've actually, you've been to my house. You've seen the evidence. You've been with me. We, we, we spent, we've broken bread together, you know, so I appreciate the fact that you can testify to that because I really try to live what I teach. I'm not one of these people that teaches and just be on the side doing all kind of crazy stuff. I know a few people that like that. I'm like, oh my goodness, these people don't even care about what they're teaching. But I really care about what I teach and I practice what I teach. I actually implement this stuff into my real life because I want my life to show the evidence of what I'm teaching. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, I feel like this. If, if somebody keeps telling you the power's in you and you can manifest your reality and, and you're a God walking in the flesh and all these things and they can't manifest a light bill, then who wants to listen to a person like that? So some people say, well, man, he's too flashy. He's too this. He's always got nice vacations and nice houses and cars. Well, that's the reality that I want to manifest, and I want to show people that you can have knowledge, be smart and intelligent, and still manifest a life like this. You don't have to be uh, a person riding around with holes in your shoes and holes in your jeans, thinking, riding a bike down the street or walking. If you want to do that, that's fine. But if you want to have nice things, I believe in making myself as comfortable as I possibly can while I'm in this third dimension right now. I'm not going to wait to die so I can live. I decided actively and consciously I'm going to live now. And when I'm out of, done with this corporeal meat suit, I'm going to come back in another dimension and I'm going to duplicate whatever the highest level is there. I'm going to achieve that there too. See, that's the mindset that I, that I live by. Hey, Billy, any, any idea about why in antiquity we got our way of doing things in terms of them? You always hear about the magic wand. Anything that you could tell me about, historically speaking, why magicians were always associated with a magic wand, Billy? Well, the magic wand is a pretty interesting tool for a magician because it gives you a certain level of distraction. Magic, even in the form of what I call real magic, like these ancients would do, it also is about getting the mind and the eyes into certain levels of movement. You know, the wand is always moving, right? A lot of the times, it'll be making this this figure eight movement, which is the infinity symbol. Mm-hmm. And the wand is moving in circles, right, which is also, we know it's, it's like a portal. 
So it's giving you these high, this high sensory perception. It has this movement going on. And so it gives you this other ability to, to, to get the left and the right brain working right before the magician is getting ready to operate with the mastery of his or her tricks. Or in the case of a real magician like Tahuti, the real match begins to occur. And so the wand is, is a different, it's a certain kind of tool because wherever the wand goes, that's where the eyes go. However the wand moves, that's how the eyes move. You can even hypnotize somebody by a wand. So the wand is like a powerful tool to get the eye in the focus in a particular area for the purpose of the magicians being able to, uh, you know, create the magic or perform the trick or the stunt or whatever it is they're trying to accomplish. Okay. Let me ask you this question now, Bill. Um, let me see. I got to put something on the screen. Okay. Oh, no, not this screen. It ain't. It looks like Kiko right there. Oh, that's dope here, Lynn. Like, it's so small. That's yeah. dope. Yeah. Um, okay, let me see this. Okay, so let me read it. Let me read it. Uh, you can't see it anyway, but let me read it. Read it. Uh, this is somebody's Facebook post. I was doing some research, and this is one of the things that came about researching Thor to Hootie. And this came up, and I found this to be quite interesting, uh, based upon something you said and something Rod Hayes had said before. Mm. Um, it's talking about Yahweh. It said, did you know a major title to Hootie, God of Wisdom, is Aya. I hope I'm saying that. Aya. I-A-H. He is called Aya to Hootie. In, in this form, he has the crescent moon, Aya, which is Aya, on his headdress. Yah, or Hi or Yah, is the corruption of this title, Aya. Did you know that the bird that represents the Houthi, usually called an ibis, crane-headed bird, is called Habu, or Habi, in the language? Habi is, is pronounced Habwa. And Habwa was corrupted in the Hawe, just as H-Y-J and I have interchanged. Uh, Jesus, Yeshu, Isa, Right, so basically what he's trying to say, let me just say, basically what he's trying to say is, Tahuti is a, uh, used to be called Yahweh. That's what he's basically trying to say. Because I don't know about all these pronunciations. But what he's trying to say is that Tahuti, uh, yeah, used to be called Yahweh was a name for Tahuti as well. Now I know you talk about uh, Enlil being right. the name of uh, Yahweh being the name of, of, of Enlil. But I also know Rod Hayes said, he said Tahuti was a title, and many people used it. So it made, made me think about both of y'all. What's your thoughts on what this individual said and Yahweh perhaps being a title that not only Enlil used, but other entities used as well, Billy? That's absolutely 1,000% accurate. So the closest iteration of the of the name Yahweh was utilized in the Torah and the modern day Bible, and that we know for a fact is in Lil from the ancient Sumerian epics. Okay, and so, but going back tens of thousands of years prior, we know that this title had been utilized a couple of times by a few different people. Right. So Tahuti also being one of them, right? For a time, 
And so because it's a title of kingship of rulership over everything. And Tahuti, a.k.a. Thoth, he ruled the planet in the time of the alignment with the constellation of Leo. We're talking about 36 to 38,000 years ago, depending on the procession of the equinoxes. So we're talking about quite a, a long, 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 long time ago. And so that's the alignment of the Great Sphinx facing down to the east. If you look directly uh, at the star alignment of the Great Sphinx and the constellation of Leo, you have to go back two processional periods to find the time that Thoth had written the Emerald Tablet, built the Great Pyramid, and the Sphinx. So it aligns with the two processional periods aligned with the time of the Emerald Tablet. So that, to me, is the geological evidence that links it with the ancient text. Uh, but he had been titled the name before, and he ruled over uh, the world from Kemet for 16,000 years, one man. With, with so, that title? Was he using that title at that time? Any he time was Thoth at the time in that, but certain people referenced him as different names. And so in different, at different times, he was considered to be Yahweh, the God of all, the God of all knowledge. And so depending on, but he was still also Tahuti, and he was still also Thoth. So it was like a double name that was attributed to one person. So there are times when a person takes on a title of a name that isn't uh, a name like this is your name at birth, but it's almost like a title. Like Amun-Ra took on the name Ra, but there was a Ra long before Amun. Long, long before Amun, there was also another Ra, mm -hmm. right? And um, uh, you have all the keys. Key means earth. K-I means earth in ancient Sumerian. But you have all these different keys. So you have N-key. You have, um, oh my God, there's so many keys. But I would have to go look at the name yeah. list. There's yeah. so many yeah. of these. You got 19, 19 keys. You got, got 19, 19 keys, right? <laughs> So there's so many of these keys that go back as well, but again, it's like giving them, adding on a, a certain level of a title to their name. It's not specifically just about a lineage, but it, it's also about adding on, adding on a particular level of a title. And this kind of went on. So it's it's uh it's something that the the ancients did. Their system was totally different from our current system of of giving out names. Right now, we just you know for for us, I mean, we just carry a slave name. We don't really know who our what our real lineage names are, at least I don't, you know, we just, I'm just going by Carson, which I'm pretty sure was a, a slave owner at some time in the Americas. Are you more of a, now there's people say have different ways of looking at things, are you more of a words have vibration, or are you more of a intentions have vibrations kind of a guy, where uh, it doesn't matter if my name is Billy Carson, my intention behind what I do is what makes me powerful, are you more of a my name is what gives me a certain vibration, like, or, or is it a little bit of both? What do you, what's your thoughts on that? I think it's a little bit of both because we know that every thought that we think creates an actual light wave that yes. leaves the skull. Yes, sir. And this can be measured in a laboratory. This is why they can put an, a cap on you that can capture that electromagnetic activity and send, the, send your light wave from actual thought into a computer. This is old technology. It's been around for over a decades and decades already. So we know this is possible, right? EEG and all these other kind of machines we have to measure light waves coming out of the brain into the actual atmosphere. And what's on those light waves? Those light waves are not just waves of light. Now, the light waves are light waves that we can't see with the physical eyes because human beings can only see 1% of the light spectrum, but they are light waves. They are encoded with information.
information. Mm -hmm. So we actually transmit these light waves mm -hmm. and we encode thoughts on the back of those waves and we send them out. So what's happening is we piggyback thought, conscious thought, which is intention mm -hmm. on these waves and we send them out into the universe. Mm -hmm. And then we also have the vibration of speaking through the vocal box. Right. What we're doing when we're speaking is people say, oh, he, I can hear what he's saying. He's speaking this language. What's really happening is I'm creating specific types of vibrations that are now oscillating the atmosphere on the way to your cochlea in your ear, creating a vibration in there, which is then decoded by the brain, and you can figure out the intention of what I'm trying to convey. And so but when you, con when you combine the conscious light waves with cymatic frequencies, now you have two powers working in a force at the same time, which is why you really have to be careful, careful about what you think and what you say, and specifically what you say and think simultaneously, because mm. that's the ultimate power. Mm. Man. Let me uh, pull up this picture because I'm doing extra question and I want to show a picture. Shout out to everybody in the chat. Um, we got almost 3,000 people. Good to have Billy back on here. We kicking it like this. Um, let me ask you this, Billy. So you talked, you just, you just talked about light waves <clears throat> being information. A major topic of discussion, Billy, at this point in time, this heavy solar activity, heavy sun activity. A lot mm -hmm. of people talk about, you know, we got this Egyptian guy, Aten, where the light rays is coming. I think he got his hands out, and that light rays is coming at him. We have a lot of talk within the conscious community or the spiritual community, whatever name you want to give this community that has spiritual information about the solar sphere attending planet Earth and waking up humanity, giving mm -hmm. us certain information that we need to get to, to, to make the ascension process or take Earth to 5G or whatever whoever we're saying Earth is doing at this present time. So the Earth, the sun, Billy, what essentially what the sun does, it erupts with these violent, these violent eruptions yeah. and it shoots solar flares and these solar flares eventually make it into the atmosphere planet earth and reabsorb it my question yeah. to you is now that's the sun that we see in the cosmos now according to text we have a sun up there and we have something called the inner sun the inner sun within the earth my question to you is if the outer sun is doing that shooting solar flares out toward earth and it's as above so below isn't it only it has to happen that the inner earth does inner sun inner earth sun does the same thing. Therefore, we see these volcanoes in Iceland that's erupting. My question to you, but this is my question to you. My question to you: If the earth is emitting solar flares, if the sun is emitting solar flares toward the earth, is what we see with from volcanic activity is this the inner earth emitting its solar flares toward us through the earth? From the inner earth, so we got the outer earth, we got the outer sun shooting at us, and we got the inner sun shooting at us through volcanoes. Would would volcano eruption be the equivalent of solar flare eruption on the sun, Billy Paul? Well, that's a good question. I I have a, a more you know because I studied this stuff. Yes. So the sun itself it, it emits something called a CME. That's a coronal mass ejection. Yes. Right. These are these super massive solar flares and. These solar flares can really um, wreak havoc on the planet, actually. I mean, uh, you know, not too many years ago, not too many decades ago, it knocked out our entire telegraph system. Back then, we used to use the telegraph for communications. 
if we had our current power grid, the entire power grid would have went down and there would have been chaos on the planet. However, these solar flares coming from the sun, the ones that kind of hit our electromagnetic field and it kind of bends it around these supercharged particles, some of them do make their way down to the ground and then that radiation, um, some of them do, do enter us and begin to affect our DNA. So I believe that there could be, based on solar cycles, you're going to see an, an effect on the population. Conscious thought, health, next generations, and everything else. Because these solar flares, there's no way to get around it. Laboratory scientifically proven will have an effect on human DNA. Uh, now, is, is the effect going to be positive or the effect is going to be negative? Well, at this particular point, based on how many people are waking up and beginning to ask more questions, I believe that we're looking at a positive effect. If you also realize that our solar system, it orbits the Milky Way galaxy. The Milky Way galaxy is this giant disk, but that disk is hundreds of millions of miles thick. And our solar system undulates up and down like this as it moves around the galactic equator over hundreds of thousands of years. Now, we're in a cycle right now where we've undulated up toward an area that's perfectly perpendicular to the galactic equator. And what's happening is we are getting also supercharged particles directly from the supermassive black hole at the center of the Milky Way galaxy streaming right towards our planet. That's also affecting conscious thought and altering DNA. So we have two sources working on us at the same exact time. This is part of what I believe is the cycle of of a rise and fall of consciousness and civilization on Earth is also based on these alignments. And then you have something else. Now, for the, the inner Earth theory that you're talking about, I tend to go away from a sun inside the Earth. I believe that there is a, a magma core rotating and spinning at a very high speed because that would create the electromagnetic fields that we know that exist. It ties into uh, the volcano system and everything else. But what's affecting that, that magma, that liquid metal core, is the gravitational field and what's happening between the pull between the sun and other star alignments that's happening within our solar system and even inside of this Milky Way galaxy. And I believe that there is uh, a, another planet that could be a rogue planet, or it's actually really my planet, it's really a brown dwarf star that was recently discovered by scientists and astrophysicists and they've labeled it Planet Nine because there's a planet orbiting this brown dwarf, and it orbits our sun around every 4,200 years. This is now in astrophysics books as well, and I believe that that gives an additional gravitational field. So what what we see happening is the Earth is being pulled and it's being torqued and it's creating friction. That friction that's being created by these extra gravitational fields is causing the magma to move in a certain way and create more friction and more heat and more force and which is spewing out more volcanic activity. And I believe that we live in a cycle of tectonic plate shifts. And we know this because we can see that the Earth has had tectonic shifts where plates have slipped because of gravitational fields and caused the plates to shift on the planet and move masses of land into different positions very rapidly, like Antarctica. Antarctica was closer to the equator. The animals that are frozen in Antarctic ice still have undigested food in their stomachs. 
food. Every time they get one thawed out, they open it up, and guess what? Fresh food in the stomach. Now right. think about that, Rich. How in the world can a mastodon or some type of a, a, a mammoth or whatever it is have fresh, undigested food if it was in an area where it was more climate, uh, the climate was more um, favorable for life for them, and then it moved at a very rapid pace, and they almost were flash frozen within hours. That's the only way to get that many animals with undigested food. So we know that Antarctica was in a different position, and it shifted into that position very rapidly, which would also create a global flood. So there's this thing that goes on with these cycles of these alignments, tectonic plate shifts, and also magnetic flips of the actual uh, Earth's um, you know, magnetic north and magnetic south. We know right now that magnetic north isn't facing true north anymore. It's moved. Magnetic north is now over Russia. All the airliners, uh, all the, um, the the airline companies around the world have had to change the landing degrees on certain runways because that's what the pilots fly by, so that they can land properly because magnetic north is what they're tuned to, and it's shifting. Eventually, magnetic north will flip, and north magnetic will be south, and south will be north, and this happens every 26, 27,000 years or so, and the evidence of this can be found in volcanic, volcanic stone. We can go to volcanic stone, and we can discover the magnetic field, and we can even discover how long ago it was flipped into a different position. And we know that we're heading towards another volcanic, uh, we're heading towards another uh, magnetic flip of magnetic north to south. So there's all these factors that are going on all at once right now. Yeah, like a lot of things going on all at once. A lot of, lot of things, brother. Hey, listen, we are, we are about to... I remember all this stuff, man. I have no idea. I have no clue how I remember all this stuff. <laughs> wow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We, we talked about a lot tonight, man, in terms yeah. of vibration, magic, and just different things. Um, Really, this, this word, uh, Heka, every time I research magic in ancient Egypt, I see this word, Heka. Mm -hmm. uh, what can you tell me about Egypt? And the word Heka, and I believe they call Tawudi the god of Heka, or god of magic. Right. Well, you have the ancient ancient uh, Egyptian, we're talking about really pre-dynastic Egypt era, is when Heka was first conceived or became an actual god. Now, there's actually a representation of the god Heka, which is only one image that exists. Well, there's many images of it, but there's only one particular god that can be attributed to that look, that face, that body of Heka. But Heka itself is not just a person. It's the, it's the source. It's the energy field. It's the force, like in Star, Star Wars. It's chi. Is okay. it chi? Is it chi or prana? It's, a, it's, it's not just chi or prana. Yeah, it's like chi. You know what? It's like chi and prana because it exists everywhere, but it's, and it's in all things. Right. And what they're saying is that Heka is the, is the god of magic and also medicine, but Heka, Heka is like a personification of magic. So... Hecka can be attributed to a particular person who's really good at knowing how to manipulate the Hecka or manipulate or use the force. What the ancients were saying was that this force exists in every and all things. And, and they were saying that the person that understands how to tap into this field can wield power over Hecka and control things. If you remember Star Wars, the oldest, one of the older Star Wars, uh, Luke was with um, Yoda, and they crashed the ship into a mud bog on some planet. 
and Yoda was telling young Master Luke to use his his the Force to raise the ship out of the mug box so they can fix it and get back on to where they were going. Mm-hmm. And he's trying, he's trying, and nothing's happening. Matter of fact, the ship sank to the bottom of the bog. Then Yoda says, okay, let me take care of this. So he begins to, to tap into the Force, and he begins to raise that ship out of the mud bog and bring it on to dry land. And Luke runs over to him and says, I can't believe it. And Yoda says, that is why you fail. <laughs> so it's all about a certain level of belief in the power within yourself to be able to bring this energy forward and manipulate energies that exist in everything. This is what we're talking about now, telekinesis, moving things with the mind, controlling things with the mind. But we're also talking about unseen things like manifestation, right? right. We're talking about all these attributes that those had the capability and the power over. He wielded this heck of force wherever he went, and he taught it. Even throughout China, he was Wang Di, the first emperor of China, okay? He, he flew in on the on a on a on a um on a fiery dragon, and he stayed there for hundreds of years, raising those people out of a barbaric state, teaching them everything, and then he got on his fiery dragon and he took off and he left. You but he taught them. So yeah, so he was the, the first emperor of China, Wang Di. Wait, Wang so, Di. Wang Di. That's right. <laughs> yeah. Listen, this man's been everywhere, but he went there and he taught them the power of. This is why. The Asian cultures have the understanding of the energy and how to move the energy through the body. They learned that from Shahudi. Yeah. This dude has been everywhere. 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 Billy, based on your based on your understanding of ancient uh, cultures, you're successful in this culture that you currently live in in this incarnation. Mm-hmm. Would you ever want to rule a planet, Billy? Like when you hear about these, in- or you like, oh, you, are you like, man, that's a fucking headache. I don't want to do that shit. Hell no, I don't want to rule a planet. Like, what's your thoughts on ruling a planet, Billy? I would only rule a planet if I can have Thanos gloves. <laughs> if I can get the glove of Thanos, and I can just decide what to snap out of existence, then I would rule the planet. But if I can't have that, if I can't have that Thanos glove, I, I don't know if I can. I, I would want to just eradicate the situation. <laughs> you know, uh, yeah, and listen, I, in some ways, I don't agree with Thanos' method, but in some ways I can understand, you know. Uh, certain rulers and, 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 and uh, crazy people over over time, I don't agree with their methods, but I can understand in some ways. It's like ruling a planet, you know, it's a, it would be, first of all, it's a huge honor, number one, but it's also a huge responsibility. Um, and... Uh, if I can have complete control of the media, if I can have complete control of, in other words, when I say control, I mean that they would not fall victim to their local representatives if that did exist in that particular type of a, you know, uh, system, that they wouldn't fall victim to their local politicians for bribery or to control what's being said. They would have to be a free and open media that can express and tell what is going on in a way that they're not just puppets of billionaires, which is what's going on now. Um, my, my, my ability to uh, create a police force in the military would be totally different because I wouldn't, my psychological evaluation for becoming a police officer would be 
totally different than what they have now. And my requirements for them becoming a police officer will be totally different. You can't become a police officer in four months. You're going to have to pass a bar exam before you become a, a police officer or whatever the equivalent will be on that planet. You have to know all the laws and pass it on, a, on an attorney level. You need to do a, become an understudy under somebody else that's already at that level for a period of time, almost like an intern. And you have to pass through that level. And then you kind of have to go through meditation, psych, consistent psych evaluations after every so many months. And if you have to use your gun or pull your trigger or somebody pulls a gun on you, you want a fresh and brand new psych eval based on real science, real stuff, not on what they have now, just creating puppets to put out there and coming out there and kill us and shoot us. And then the military, I don't want puppets. I don't want somebody that if some general says, go over here to this town and whack these people for no particular reason, I want people to be able to ask questions. Well, why am I coming over here to kill these people? Can you? I need more intel. I need more intelligence on why I have to go and do this. I want a more open and and um, forget all this uh, top secret stuff. No, because he's a, a, a you know a person that just came in, right? And and, and I've been in it for 20 years. No, he this person who I'm sending out here potentially to die needs to know almost everything I know, so they can make an educated decision on why they're even doing what they're doing, and I gotta take capitalization out of the military. Going back to the police, any police officer that commits an egregious act against a citizen on any in any country, they themselves will have to pay for that lawsuit through their um, you know, their 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 uh, their entire retirement income. And they have to have some type of insurance that will help cover what they can't cover. The money ain't coming from tax-paying citizens and things like that. And you have to take capitalization out of health care. There can be no capitalization in health care, no capitalization in, in the prison system. That's got to be removed. You can't capitalize those two things because people will take advantage and find ways to put people in prison and find ways to keep people sick so they can make money. So if I'm ruling the planet, this thing is going to be run a totally different way. And, uh, and anybody, you know, that wants to capitalize and, and do all these things, I got to have the Thanos glove. I got to get rid of them. <laughs> Billy, you sound like you were so prepared for that question. You have thought you have thought about this before, Billy. You have thought about running the world before. Did y'all hear Billy's breakdown? This dude was ready for that question. Oh, my God, Billy. Billy, you turn up, man. You was ready for that question. Uh, they really, and now even, well, 
just in America, it's not really a big thing anymore. But when you go to these other countries I go to, like, you know, Africa and, and the Middle East, and it's still in real, like a real important thing. There are some cultures here, even in the Americas. There's a big um, Muslim culture in Detroit that, you know, they still have a, a heavy thing about virgins. And because of this, they do very strange things in some of these countries. They actually take the woman um, and they, at birth, they clip, they surgically remove the clitoris in a lot of these places, which is a lot of women walking around with no clitoris which I think is an absolute sin against humanity, yes. that they would do something that's sick and, yeah. and, and sinister. Um, and so, but you see, like, even in the Middle East, the, for, the, for the extremists, they really do believe that if they commit these extremist acts, that they're going to get a chance to go see Allah in heaven and that they're going to be granted 13 virgins. And then you have the, the Mayans who threw virgins into these giant holes in the ground down in the Yucatan Peninsula because they wanted the gods to bring rain. And so everywhere you go, it's this virgin thing, yeah, right? Virgin, yeah, yeah. It, it's, so, it's so wild. And in some of these places with the Sharia law, if a woman is found not to be a virgin because a man takes his finger and sticks it up there to judge whether she's a virgin or not, maybe he tried to get some and she said no. Now he says, I'm going to get her. Oh, she ain't a virgin. Now she gets stoned to death. But again, more male dominant energy. But it, the virgin has something that this virginity thing. It has a lot of power. You know, just this this energy, this untouched, clean energy that's untapped. And everybody wants well, not everybody. A lot of the men throughout history want to harness that energy. I mean, even with the virgins going to heaven thing and getting the thirteen, but I never understood that. To me, it makes no sense. If I'm gonna live for eternity. Right. If I commit this egregious act and I'm going to go to heaven and live forever, like eternity of uncountable years, why would I want 13 virgins? Why would I? Why wouldn't I want unlimited virgins? Because 13 will run out and then I'll have no more virgins. So even the thought process behind these people <laughs> just doesn't make there's yeah. no logic. Why would I want 13 virgins when I can have unlimited? Virgins? It just these things that these people fall into. But behind all of that dogma, there's something about the virgin. Which is this super powerful, clean, unharnessed energy that can be tapped into, and these ancient cultures knew about it and revered it, and then it became, it, be, it went real dark after that, and then after that it turned into this dark thing, um, you know, where, where, of course, you know, men just utilizing for their own purposes, but I believe before that, way long time ago, it was really, really revered as a super spiritual, powerful energy, uh, you know, but again... A lot of things get corrupted once a man touches it, like Tupac said. <laughs> well, listen, Billy, man, I did a lot of learning in tonight's show. Uh, I'm thankful you answered every question thoroughly. Another classic show in the books. Uh, tell the people one more time, my brother, um, your website, what you got going on yeah. with the streaming network, and uh, anything else you got coming up, Billy. I know you got the Egypt tours. You got a lot, so tell the people about all of that. You got a lot, yeah. Well, we have the Forbidden Knowledge TV app. That's 4BK.TV. Get the app on your app store, the Forbidden Knowledge TV app. We have the Manifest Destiny workshop coming up at the uh, 27th of January. You can find the link. I saw King Simon. Shout out to King Simon dropping my link in the chat. I appreciate you so much, King Simon. Uh, you can sign up for the Manifest Destiny uh, workshop for 2024 if you want to learn, learn how to manifest your best 2024 and on and beyond. Every year I do it, it gets bigger and bigger. 
And then we have our tour of Turkey coming up, the Forbidden Tour of Turkey coming up in September. Come to Turkey with us. Uh, spend my birthday in Turkey. My 53rd rotation around the sun will be spent in Turkey at one of these ancient sites. There's never been a black man to document Darren Kuyu, Gobekli Tepe, taking people down to the underground city that can hold 30,000 people built thousands of years ago. Nobody's, no black man's gone to Karahan Tepe and documented this stuff. You got a chance to come with me to these ancient sites, hang out with us, and learn at the same time. Uh, and then we're going to go to Egypt on a 12-day super VIP forbidden tour of Egypt in October. And the link for all this is in the link that King Simon's been dropping in the chat. If you want to register for these amazing tours and be a part of that. All throughout 2024, I'll be announcing soon all the cities that I'll be in. We already set up the deal with Regal Cinemas. And I, feel, I believe it's starting in March, April, May, June, so forth. We'll be going to Regal Cinema Theaters and doing live premieres of the new Anunnaki Ancient Secrets Revealed series. And each time I show up, there'll be a different one showing up at each different theater, all Regal Cinemas throughout the entire United States. And I'll speak for an hour. We'll show the, uh, the movie, and then we'll have a meet and greet at the end. So information on how you can register for all that will be coming up very, very soon. But it's already set up. And then, of course, we're going to have the 2024 second annual Forbidden Conscious Awards, August 2nd, 3rd, and 4th, down in Miami. Three-day event this time. Celebrity All-Star Basketball Game Friday night with NBA and NFL players and singers and actors and everything else. I'll be playing as well. And then Saturday morning, we're going to have a, um, an actual speaking conference. Saturday evening is a VIP super yacht party sunset plated dinner. And then Sunday morning is going to be um, a meet and greet book signing. Sunday afternoon is going to be the red carpet photos. And then Sunday evening will be the actual award show coming very soon. The Forbidden Conscious Awards, second annual. Hey, Billy, man, I, I can't thank you. And that's amazing, man. Uh, a couple things. One thing, I can't thank you enough for allowing me and Cam Bollins to premiere our single, um, I Could Do Magic, at the first yeah. annual Forbidden Knowledge Awards. People didn't know what was going on, but when they heard that hook, they they, they, <laughs> they, they, they knew what was up. And, and we released the album. Um, we didn't release it on the streaming networks yet. We just released it on, no. our, on our website, and we already sold oh, over wow. we already sold over 1,500 albums. So yeah, just, Smart just, man. Smart yeah, man. <laughs> just on our website. So it's not even the world hasn't even heard the album yet. It's not on streaming wow. sites. Just on our website and, and the buzz of the single I could do magic. Yeah. We already sold it. It hasn't even officially been a month yet. It's probably like mm. almost a month, but we we already sold fifteen hundred albums. I want to wow. thank everybody who purchased the album. It means a lot to me to be independent in a world where people are not used to spending money on music. The album is yep. priced at thirty-three dollars for fifteen hundred people, over fifteen hundred at this point, to buy the music that they think they can get for free. It means mm -hmm. we really appreciate the art. Me and Cam Bada really yeah. invested a lot in it, and I want to thank Billy for allowing us to premiere that song. That's when we premiered it. The world first yeah. heard it at the uh, Forbidden Knowledge Awards. So I want to thank you, my yeah. brother, for giving me that opportunity. Um, no problem. Also, there was something else I wanted to ask you about. Oh, with with the awards, man. Yeah. Like, come on, you got, I, I, so how can people submit for the best interviewer, best question actor, or something like that? Who has the best question? Like, come on, you got, I, I, so how can people submit for the best interviewer, best question actor, or something like that? Who has the best question? Like, come on, you
opportunity for having more categories filled. Well, we have a board now. We have a board of directors. So okay. we're working on right now. We're going to put every tickets will be on sale probably in about two weeks, oh, three oh. weeks max. Oh. Uh, voting will be open in two to three weeks as well. Okay. We're working on coming up with all the new categories for this year. There'll be most of the same categories we have, but a few of them will be gone, and there'll be some new ones there because you can't give away a, you know, a, um, the, some of the same awards every single year. But right. we will work on configuring. We have a whole board meeting set up to sit down and go over all the categories and, and reach out to potential nominees so they can begin to promote themselves and get people to vote for them. Because this is truly a voted on by the fans type of a system. We didn't want to go with a political system like the current award shows where you don't even know these people are being handpicked by some elites. We want the people to pick the winners, and everything went by real and true votes. Um, and so that's the way we believe it should be, and the way it is. And so that's what we're doing. So we're going to give, we're going to reach out to quite a few people in the next few weeks and have them submit a headshot if they don't have one online that's decent enough, and allow them give them a piece that they can, a marketing piece they can allow them to promote and start getting votes in, like we did last year. We had over forty-eight thousand votes combined all together that's a lot of votes that came in for people and we believe that we're probably going to tap over a hundred thousand votes for people this year and the venue is bigger that year last year was uh, well, like yeah last year now coming up it's gonna be last year in a couple days it was uh, uh the one that we did earlier this year was uh, uh 1200 people we finally got to talk out night uh, 1198 but this one can hold 1800 people same venue location but there's another theater in there with uh with more room and a more modern stage setting uh so we're moving into that one for the next one we're going to manifest 1800 people there and it's going to be bigger and it's going to be better and we're only going to move up we're never going to move sideways hey man listen billy man a pleasure as always we got uh we got 2500 people left pleasure as always having you on the platform brother we always have amazing great conversation I look forward to seeing you in 2024. We got also we got to talk about. I I think we should do uh, Blueprint for God Power Three early 2025, but in person this time in person. Yeah. I think we gotta do in person. Yeah. We need a live audience there. We can get them standing up, moving around, doing things, interacting with us directly. Yeah, for sure. That'll be great. We have to do yeah. that. I think with me, you, yeah. me, you and Doctor B got to get on the phone. I think. We should let, because we did two in 2023. I mean, we was getting busy in 2023 to prepare yeah. people for 2024 because it's an important year. And um, I think that uh, 2025, we should come back with it. And uh, we got to do it in person. But listen, man, like I said, always a pleasure, man. Amazing energy, brother. I appreciate you. you. As always, take care, my brother. Thank Congratulations you. again on the marriage and everything else. Family, thank you for tuning in. Brother Rich, Billy Carson, we are signing out. See you next time, family. Peace. Peace.